1: And the pacific islands used to go together like cozies and sunscreen but things have become more complicated and the relationship has been strained in recent times so before prime minister anthony albanese and the other pacific islands forum leaders gather in fiji to talk we're going to go through our connection to the region australia's role in supporting pacific island nations and the challenges and opportunities ahead Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. Before we get into the many issues and the geopolitical struggle over the Pacific Islands region, let's do what we always do, and that is get our bearings. Claire, when we talk about the Pacific Islands region, we're pointing on our imaginary map to the north and east of Australia.
2: Yep. If you can see me, I'm sort of pointing above me and to the side (laughs) of me. But uh, there are three major groups of islands in the Pacific Ocean. They're Melanesia, Micronesia and Polynesia. The Melanesian region includes four independent countries. That's Fiji, Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea. Micronesia takes in the Marshall Islands, Kiribati and the Federated States of Micronesia. And Polynesia is a big one. It takes in more than a thousand islands, including Hawaii. For our purposes, when we talk about that region, it covers Tonga, Samoa, Tuvalu and the Cook Islands. There's a long
1: history of engagement between between Australia and the region. To start with, many nations in the Pacific were also colonised by the British, and many were territories administered by them until the second half of the 1900s. But modern Australia's connection to the region was cemented during the Second World War.
2: Yeah, in December 1941, Japan launched a war against the Western Allies, and in the years that followed, Australian and other Allied forces fought for fierce battles with the Japanese for control of Asia and the Pacific. The idea was Japan wanted to get a foothold in our region as a stepping stone to taking on Australia on our home territory. And it also wanted to cut us off from the United States and our other allies in Europe who were a very long way away.
1: That saw some big and costly battles in the Pacific and it brought the US and Australia closer together. It's a relationship that was forged in war that's still going strong today and it's framed America's involvement in the affairs of the Pacific region as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. The United States are very interested in the region because of that history, but also because of the bigger strategic issues, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, But Australia and the US aren't the only ones. France is another nation with a long history there, uh, and the European Union and Japan also keep a very close eye on things. And like Australia,
1: New Zealand is also heavily involved, and we often work together on engagement with Pacific nations. So that's a bit about how the relationships evolved, but
2: history is just one part of the story. Yeah, and we don't need to overthink it when it comes to geography, our size and our position as a developed nation. Australia has long been recognised as having a leadership role when it comes to advancing the prospects and the priorities of its Pacific Island neighbours.
1: What the government says is that our future is deeply entwined with that of our Pacific family and that we have an abiding interest in the sovereignty, stability, security and prosperity of our region.
2: And that's the overarching statement but of course we don't just have one relationship with the region we have many relationships with many nations there and while the issues are quite often the same our response can vary depending on the nation and the people involved.
1: It is widely agreed though that more engagement by Australia in the region is necessary and urgent and we're going to get into that next. (music) Australia has long been the Pacific's largest development partner, security partner and friend in times of need – But in recent times, the discussion has been about Australia doing more to help the Pacific deal with their challenges and make more of their opportunities. We're going to break that into starting with Australia's role as
2: a partner and friend to the region. So being a development partner essentially means providing aid to the nations in the region uh, so that they can build their infrastructure, they can strengthen their economies, uh, stabilize their national institutions, and also help their people through education and jobs and health programs.
1: Australia's aid budget in recent times has been at about $4 billion in total. In the 2020-21 financial year, about $1.4
2: billion of that was earmarked for Papua New Guinea and the Pacific. And in the election that's just been run, Labor promised to boost that. They said that there wasn't enough growth in that budget under the last coalition government, and that left the door open for Pacific nations to look to other powers for help. And when you say
1: other powers, you mean China. Yeah, that segues
2: rather nicely (laughs) into the second part of that relationship formula, and that's being a security partner. Uh, This year, we've talked quite a bit about the Solomon Islands and its decision to sign a security pact with China. Yeah, we sure have. We even did a shortcut on it. Yeah, it was a good one too, so go and have (laughs) a listen to that. Uh, There's so much about that nation and our relationship with the Solomons and China's ambitions, so it's a bit of a case study. Uh, I won't go into all of it here, go and listen to that shortcut, but (laughs) long story short, Prime Minister Sogavare of the Solomons uh, has had a love-hate relationship with Australia for decades, and that's been something that we could manage. uh, And we've always been there to help them with policing and law and order issues when there's been unrest, uh, along with funding redevelopment. uh, But we haven't had to go the extra mile for them. That is until China started
1: to get more assertive under President Xi Jinping. And now some analysts say that China is outdoing us on the friendship stakes.
2: Yeah, and they've had a lot of cash to splash around uh, under the Belt and Road Initiative. It's not free money, those nations need to pay it back. And that's a whole other problem that we won't get into here. Uh, But China has seen strategic benefits with schmoozing with the Pacific nations.
1: We hear terms like strategic benefits thrown around a lot, but break it down for us. What does it actually mean?
2: Yeah, so one thing that's really freaked Australia and our allies out uh, is the suggestion that China will build a military base on the Solomon Islands. Even if it doesn't, just having permission for its big naval warships uh, in our neck of the woods is alarming. So, bases and that kind of presence is one thing. Ultimately, what we want to ensure are that trade routes are kept open and we're suspicious about China's presence in areas that have previously been clear.
1: And then the There's also issues of espionage and interference. The closer another power is to us, the easier it is for them to keep tabs on us. China's not just a Solomon Islands issue. They have been warming up their relationships across the Pacific.
2: They have. And during the election campaign, Wang Yi, who is China's foreign minister, embarked on a marathon tour of the region. He visited eight countries in 10 days. He actually proposed that they sign up to a sweeping regional economic and security deal that covered everything from a free trade area to providing humanitarian and COVID relief. That didn't happen, but it gives you a taste about how China's approaching it.
1: Speaking of humanitarian and COVID
2: relief, that's the other aspect attribute of Australia being a friend in times of need. Yeah, so the pandemic is a good example. Australia contributed more than $300 million in support for Pacific nations with vaccines, PPE and heaps of other support. Uh, Another example is Tonga's volcano eruption. Uh, Our Defence Force was there quite quickly to help out and will also be there to help with the rebuild. Uh, So you want to be that neighbour that's turned to. uh, It signifies that sort of depth of trust in the relationship.
1: As for challenges and opportunities, there are many of both of them, and we're going to get into that next.
0: Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzes how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy.
1: Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals, and schools, and a big part of it comes from iron ore.
0: BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they
1: mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port
0: Hedland. It's happening now at BHP, and if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes.
1: As we said before, there are many nuances in Australia's relationships with the nations that make up the Pacific Islands, but let's continue to tackle it as a group. And the best way to look at what those leaders say are the challenges and opportunities for the region that come through the Pacific Islands Forum. And because that's coming up soon, we're going to get you across it. Claire, take it away.
2: Yeah, it's known as PIF. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the region's premier political and economic policy organisation. It was founded in 1971. And it comprises of 18 members I'm going to let you do the honours with that Larissa
1: (laughs) Okay I'll take it away (laughs) (laughs) Members of PIF are Australia, the Cook Islands, the Federated States of Micronesia Fiji, French Polynesia, Kiribati, Nauru New Caledonia, New Zealand, Niue, Palau Papua New Guinea, the Republic of Marshall Islands Samoa, Solomon Islands, Tonga Tuvalu and Vanuatu.
2: <laughs> yeah, and breathe. <laughs> uh- Its secretariat is based in Fiji, and Australia contributes about a third of its budget. Uh, Its mission is to support a region of peace and harmony, also security, social inclusion and prosperity, uh, so that all Pacific people can lead free, healthy and productive lives.
1: That gives the leaders who gather annually a pretty big agenda. It covers economic, security, environmental, social and
2: governance matters. Yeah. It's a big agenda Hmm. Uh, and because of geography, it's an important forum because the region works best when there's cooperation between governments and collaboration with those international agencies. The PIF
1: Leaders Summit is on from the 11th to the 14th of July. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is attending the meeting that is being hosted by Fiji, led by Prime Minister Frank Barney Marama. Claire, it's the first face-to-face gathering since the 2019 PIF meeting in Tuvalu when Scott Morrison clashed with his Pacific counterparts over
2: climate change. Climate change is a massive issue as far as Pacific leaders are concerned. They see it as a top security issue. If you ask Prime Minister Barney Marama the question, he says that, and this is the quote, our greatest concern isn't geopolitics, it's climate change. Uh, So in that regard, the new Albanese government is a step ahead of the Morrison government because they have a bigger short-term emissions reduction target.
1: And that's been welcomed by members of the PIF. The other thing to mention is is that this time around there will be no meetings with partners of the forum.
2: Yeah, so just to explain that, the PIF has 21 partners. That includes the United States, China, the European Union, Japan, South Korea, Canada, India, Singapore and the United Kingdom. Um, usually what happens at these PIF leaders summits is that there's an in-person dialogue partners meeting, but not this time around. Uh, what reports say is that Bunny Marama wanted to ensure that the Pacific leaders had space uh, to to resolve the issues that we've currently been talking about uh, and also to decide on their key priorities without having to wrangle all of these big powerful outsiders.
1: And you'd have to think that that puts Australia in an excellent position for that forum. And that's your shortcut to our Pacific family. On to our recommendations. <laughs> Each week, we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. I'm going to recommend our shortcut on the Solomon Islands. We've talked about it already here. It is a case study, as we talked about, but an important one that's going to have ramifications in our region for years to come. So, it's a good one to be across.
2: Yeah, it sure is. For me, Fiji was the first country in the world to formally approve the Paris Climate Agreement. uh, And Frank Banu is a leader who strongly advocates for climate action. Uh, So I have a short video of him explaining it from Fiji's perspective.
1: As always links to both of these will be in your episode notes. Thanks for listening in to this shortcut. If you are enjoying our shortcuts please do tell people about them. It is the number one way that we grow your recommendations to others and we're very grateful for each and every one of them. Remember if you have any requests on a topic, a person a situation that you want a shortcut to a bit of background and context send it through to hello at the squiz.com.au until next time